welcome back to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, where you get to hear entrepreneurs, social change makers, and impact investors. Today on the show with me is Mao Mao Hu, co-founder at Cora Network. Cora Network is on a journey to unlock sustainable economic growth. Welcome to the show, Mao Mao. Thanks, Julian. Yeah. So you guys are on quite the mission to create social impact. I first want to really start and hear, like, how do you structure your own days? Like, how is your own life kind of um, look to, to like, kick into flow every day and then, like, be in this passionate journey? You know, it's a tricky question. I mean, like, concretely, like, my routine looks like this. You know, most days I wake up. The first thing I do usually when I wake up is I take my, new, my nootropics. So I use Qualia. I don't know if you heard of it. It's pretty, pretty mainstream. Take step one, no food, a little bit of work. Half an hour later, eat like a piece of bread, take step two. I find that really supercharges my brain. It's almost like, it's like an unfair advantage, honestly. Like, I feel really great on Qualia. I've, I've taken it before. I really enjoyed it as well. Yeah. yeah, I enjoy it. I only take like one third recommend dosage. It's like, so I really stretch out my supply too. And, you know, one thing I used to do that I'm trying to get back that I feel like you know, so I used to get up and meditate for like five minutes and do like some yoga. I'm trying to get back to that, but it's just been like so ridiculous. Just kind of like today's been so packed, but um, so I used to do that. And then, yeah, I get down to the computer, figure out what the beginning of my day is. Another thing that I used to do, which I also need to get back to, back when I used to work at a bank, I would get there and I would just look at all my emails. I would look at my calendar. And I would make a list of like, here's what I need to accomplish in terms of priority I'm at the beginning of the day. And then I'll just work off that list for the rest of the day. And I wouldn't need to think about what to do next. So I would just like refer back to the list. So that's something really useful. Yeah, These days, it's like for you? Because you said you want to go back to that. But it, it sounds like you're, maybe that's partially the qualia, but you're just kind of flowing right into like what's most exciting at this point? Or? It's more like flowing into what's urgent. You know, every day feels like a fire drill. And which is not good. You know, then you focus a bit too much on the short term. And uh, at some point, it does make sense to invest a little bit more time in like medium term or long term planning. So yeah, so I'm trying to get back to that. I'm trying to like, get back to a lot of good habits I used to have. But um, yeah, that's how I kind of get kicked into it. Well, it's it's interesting to hear that because you know you you're using a nootropic, which I know a lot of entrepreneurs at this point are doing that. But for a lot of people, that's still very new, and they might already have these more healthy and sustainable habits of like starting with meditation or like some kind of like morning ritual. So maybe tell us a little bit more about how this journey of nootropics started for you. Was it just like, I want to enhance my performance or like, where did that come from? I mean, it's like the, the word nootropic, I feel like scares people. It looks like a weird word, man. It looks like it's got two O's. The story, like, story for nootropics is really easy. So I was at this conference, met this great guy. He was obviously operating on like half an hour of sleep for like five days and he was, he was killing it. So when we were talking and he suggested Qualia. That's kind of it. You know, I was never really into nootropics, but... If you expand, you know, the fact is pretty much all of North America, pretty much, you know, all of Europe, all of the UK, pretty much everyone is on nootropics. It's just called caffeine. Right. You know, like all of Asia, everyone's drinking tea. It's like the oldest nootropic. Sugar sometimes, you know, these are all like people modulate their mood by what they consume and how they, and what they do and et cetera. You know, quality is kind of really fine-tuned and sophisticated way to do that. But even back in like, back when I worked in a bank, you know, that was probably even more than now that I was like working like crazy, crazy, crazy hours, even more than now. And so I would literally like schedule time between calls to grab a, grab like an espresso from like the, the free coffee machine. And right. so back then I was like very aware of like using this as a nootropic. And then uh, even back in high school, so I went to high school in China 
which, you know, we were going to school from 7 a.m. to 8 to 10 p.m., Monday to Saturday. And then, then we had a half day on Sunday. So I would like consciously go out to buy coffee, like instant coffee, and use that as a new filter. So yeah, I mean, just like, and then, you know, obviously there's, there's another side to that, which is, which is alcohol, you know, which is a very commonly, you know, accepted recreational drug. It's not quite the same, you know, you don't really drink alcohol to perform. But, but yeah, I feel like, you know, I've always been super aware of nootropics and really leverage them a lot. I feel like, though, this year I've become a lot more conscious about, like, the longer term effects and more, uh, you know, coffee is an easy one, right? You drink it, you get a kick. But stuff like eating healthier is something I'm trying to do. Stuff like meditating, you know, you wouldn't call these nootropics, but they enhance your performance so much. And so it's just... Totally, and like your presence and awareness with what you interact and what you put into your body or how you treat people. I mean, for me, it's really a journey also of how I treat myself. Um, super interesting, man. I, I love hearing kind of how people are on that journey with themselves. And I, I bet everyone out there has, has their own story about caffeine and meditation. Uh, let's jump right into your projects. I would really love to hear kind of what, how you went from uh, being a banker and working in a bank to all the way to blockchain technology and having this mission of kind of banking the unbanked. Yeah, although just to clarify, I wasn't a banker. You know, I worked at a bank in a, in a tech group. So, right. you know, I was working on fintech stuff. Well, it's, there's two sides to it. For me, the journey started back in 2011 with Occupy Wall Street. And it was really this thing about, you know, wealth is some people have all the wealth and some people don't. And that didn't seem very fair. But Occupy Wall Street, I don't think they had a very good solution, you know, or any, <laughs> any solution. That's, Let's break up the bags. Let's like throw them all in jail. You know, that's it's not a realistic solution. It's not productive. And so I've been like investigating like how to deal with this for like a long, long, long time. And this is kind of the closest that that I've come. And so like what what Cora is concretely, it's it's really a way about thinking of capital as a shared resource instead of as a personal resource. If that makes sense, in the sense that you know. Like the game is rigged towards people to have extra capital. Now, if you could just pull your capital with other people and govern that effectively, then you know that's one way to kind of level the playing field. The main difficulty there, there's a lot of difficulties, but one of the biggest ones is is coordination issues between the the participants. And if blockchain is a really great tool to solve coordination issues, it's like one of the few things that like does really well. And that is essentially what we do. And to give you kind of a concrete example. What we're trying to do in Peru is you have these coffee farmers and you have these coffee exporters. And traditionally, they are you know, adversarial. You know, both want to rip off the other side. However, it's also in this place where if you can prove, if the exporter can prove that they're passing on more of the you know, dividends to the farmers, they can actually go back to the roasters and apply pressure to get a higher price because of this environment where people, where consumers want to see farmers get paid fairly, you know? Right, and so that's one way for like. But to do that, you need to prove that to the farmer that you know you're not going to go tell the roaster this and then not pay them. And so what we're trying to do there is build a blockchain where the money flows into the exporter's bank account, it automatically gets sent out to the farmer's mobile wallet, and like the the split is defined inside a smart contract, so everyone can see it, everyone can verify that the split was like you know it actually happened. And, and that's just a, like a super simple example. But I feel like from that kernel, we can kind of build out, hopefully expand out into a more equitable financial system. Super exciting. So tell me a little bit more. I know you guys just launched a beta. Yeah, so we just launched a beta in Nigeria. 
And so Nigeria, at first, we were thinking we're going to use the blockchain as a medium of exchange. We're going to use it to send money around. But, you know, most of the world already has digital currency. It's called, like, U.S. dollars has been a digital currency since, like, 1972 when the ACH came out, you know? Wires are digital currency. Nigeria has T plus one settlement. It's, like, pretty widespread. So simple digital currency is actually not, like, the biggest, I think, the biggest issue with blockchain. Well, it's, unless you want to create, like, a, like a denationalized currency, like Bitcoin, that's a whole different game of let's try to create a better currency, which is really interesting, which is also not what we're doing. To us, it's really about, it's really simple. It's that how, how can we help people make statements to each other and you know, enter into agreements with each other and prove that they, and trust that they will be enforced and trust that you know, consequences will happen if they're broken. That is kind of the key and to obviously do that at a very low cost, a very accessible way, and then like well-designed systems that are equitable. That is kind of at the heart of what we see blockchain as being used for. And it's tricky because it's such like a simple foundational thing that you can't, it's, it's not like, it's not like a hammer. You know, you take a hammer, you hit nails with it. This is more like, okay, look, we have created, you can now move the wind around, but in like very small ways, it's like, or you, you can use the blockchain to make this maze and throw a bunch of people into it. And it's like, okay, I can see how this is powerful, but I, it takes a little bit more time to kind of figure out how to solve the problem exactly. But that, that's kind of what we learned from this Nigerian data. Got it. Yeah, I mean, blockchain in itself is, is quite the young technology. So I think we're far beyond understanding what the true social impact might be. But I, what I hear people uh, talk about over and over again, and including on the show, is like how to create a quality and a trust kind of control through the blockchain technology. Is that more or less what you're saying? Well, you know, yes is the answer. But you gotta, you kind of gotta separate it. Like it becomes such a nuanced problem because blockchains don't guarantee equality. You know, like uh, the wealth distribution for Bitcoin is incredibly unequal. Same deal for either. You know, it's uh, I think there was this one blog where if you calculate Gini for Gini coefficient for Bitcoin, it would be like right up there with North Korea. And so, you know, I think that is all you need to say to to know that if you do if you use this technology recklessly then you're just facilitating even more inequality. Because like, for example, not everyone has internet. You know, not everyone can buy Bitcoin. Not everyone even heard about Bitcoin back in 2012. And so what I would say is blockchains, you can use them to create structures which tend towards equality. Or you can use them, you can design structures which are equal and use blockchains to ensure that those structures are upheld and enforced you know if you look at like look at what's happening in the u.s right now where there's obvious campaign violations from the trump campaign there's obvious like ethics violations from the trump administration right they, they're like you know but it has to work through this this system that was designed in 1776 and so it has to go to a court has to go to a commissioner has to go this and that which is fine you know like it's uh it's better than that's well, better than nothing, you know, at least consequences are happening. But if you could like, like just, just as a thought experiment, if you had like a smart contract, that was the conflict of interest contract, and you just call the contract and say, did, was this thing that Trump did, was that a conflict of interest? And you would say, yep, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slash his holdings. I'm going to take the money and just set on fire. I think if that were true, I think we, you know, I think the situation would be quite different. I, so I think like those kind of scenarios where you can design these equal structures 
that are equal in theory, but that tend to break down, you know, in practice, you can like make them more transparent, make them more enforceable. So uh, hopefully with that, you can create more equal kind of structures. That's super interesting where, you, where you're going with this. So you're saying basically in, in order to really actually practically have these more equal scenarios, we, we kind of have to have a shift in consciousness or a shift in how we uh, look at our systems in general. Absolutely. I think a really big response coming out of the U.S. election was, if you really want to see change, you should go vote. I think people are becoming a lot more active. Uh, unfortunately, they're, they're dealing with a system that was designed in 1776. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's what we need. It doesn't, like blockchains are enforced because of that technology. People, they're enforced because of people. And they let people do things with other people that are, are new. I think that is what we need, we need to hold it on. Got it. Well, let me ask another question. I would love to know, what is purpose to you? What is purpose to me? I mean, I feel like with purpose, kind of have to get back to meaning. And well, what is meaning to you, Julian? What is meaning to me? Well, mm -hmm. I think meaning is something we create individually. And then we also create as a collective through agreements. So meaning really is a very subjective matter, I believe. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that, you know, and you're right. It's not, it's not totally solipsistic. It's not totally created by you. You know, when you grow up, you do have certain expectations. You do have certain obligations you can't get away from. And those kind of like set you in motion, so to speak. But yeah, meaning is created by yourself. And so purpose has to be created by yourself. So much as like outside circumstances can allow that. That's, that's kind of how I see it. Got it. Yeah. So how are you kind of with that meaning that you're creating by yourself? How did that really like lead you to what you're doing with Quora? Because I feel like you're really stepping into something that like connects the world in a very different way and like enables a form of equality that for a lot of people that would be just like plain dreaming. But I, I believe there's, there's quite the vision you have. I'd love to hear a little bit more about this like kind of purpose call to arms in that sense and then also like the vision that's behind it. Yeah. So, I mean, like it or not, I feel like we live in a capitalistic society and at this point capitalism is pretty prevalent in every single place in the world. And so I felt that as far as like trying to solve problems, you can't get like much bigger, impactful problems than trying to solve how the proceeds of capitalism are distributed. And I guess that's kind of how, you know, the other side to that is I think just in terms of like self-protection, self-defense, you have to understand the kind of environment you're in. And at, at the super high level, we're in, in this environment we're in this like capitalistic free market system. And we they're like different there's different people with power. You have like states, you have corporations, you have and everything in between, you know, like NGOs, people, SMBs, uh, religion, whatever it is. To me it was really just kind of uh, like an attempt to kind of understand it. And as I spent more and more time understanding it, first of all it became more and more clear how unfair it was. And it seemed to me that it might have been a solution. So that's, that's kind of like the thread of my life, like the last probably six or seven years right now. Interesting. So when you say we're like in a, in a basically capitalistic system, which I, I mean, I agree with you, that's kind of how the whole world is run. How do you personally look at something like universal basic income? I think universal basic income is too vague. I think what we should try to, to get to is more like universal standard of living, where you know, like uh, it costs different amounts of money to, to get the same thing in different places. Like you can live quite well on a pretty small budget in, in, in the Philippines. If anything, it's like, it's almost, I mean, it would be cool if you just literally distributed the same income in dollars to everyone. Um, I think a lot of people would move to the Philippines then. And, you know, what does that say about like unintended consequences? But I think 
the main issue with universal basic income to me comes down to sustainability and governance because if you want it to be sustainable, you need to create enough value. You know, you can't have this at minimum, you need to be zero sum where whatever value you get gets sent out equally. Ideally, you want to be non zero sum, right? You want like this community to continuously accumulate value. And okay, what does that mean? Then you get into this, like really tricky morass of okay, you, you get exactly as much as you put in, and which in which case you describe like uh, corporations, you know, you describe like some kind of partnership or. Some kind of like uh, service, and okay, what if you're old? What if you're this? What if you're that? Yeah. Uh, becomes ableist. Like, what if you? What if, especially given the context of today, what if you're a woman and you, on average, make less money? You know, what if you're black and it's harder for you to get a job? What if you don't have a visa, can't work in the United States, and are locked out of all these like high-paying jobs? And so, ultimately, I think if you if you just think if you don't kind of treat that thoughtfully, then you just end up reproducing. I think the same power structure where. It boils down to people that have more money and more power just need to give more of that away, which is kind of what people are trying to do by taxing the rich and people trying to do in Silicon Valley. And I think, you know, the other big piece of that is that I think that's an unsustainable governance system because that relies on, well, yeah, I don't know what it relies on, altruism, I guess, which is never really very sustainable. And so I think before we can really talk about universal basic income, you know, either we can figure out some way of increasing the pie, uh, figure out some way of more fairly distributing the wealth we currently have, then I think we as a society need to agree that that is something that we should do. That it, instead of everyone trying to get the most for themselves, that we should all strive to like, get the most for everyone. Mm. And I don't, I, don't, I don't think people are ready to accept that. You know, certainly not in America. Not everyone's ready to accept that. And so yeah, I think universal basic income is, as an ideal, it's like a great rallying call, but as like a concrete way to be applied, I think it's almost like a symptom. Like the the roots of that like lie somewhere else. I think. Got it. Wow. Yeah, that's a that's a very um, powerful observation, and I appreciate your opinion on that. I think there are so so many ways how to possibly create a more equal society, but it kind of comes back to this like level of consciousness and level of conditioning people are at. So what I hear between the lines of what you're sharing a lot is like this somewhat like very observant criticism on our systems kind of started at um, Occupy Wall Street, but then also like the criticism on all the uh, other solutions, right? Because they're not necessarily really proclaiming another solution that, that is kind of feasible at the level where we're at. And it reminds me a lot of the Buckminster Fuller quote of you, you cannot create a new system, by, or you can only create a new system by making the old system completely obsolete. And my follow-up question for you would be like, how how do you really see that in the project you're creating? Because I think that's ultimately what made you choose to like put all your energy into Cora. Yeah, I mean, I think just like drawing on, I think there's like a few like core components that we're trying to create new systems. And so one is so-called theory of the firm, you know, where it's like, you know, why do corporations exist? How do they work? A lot of it's based on this market theory. You, you look at like law firms, you look at like G. And if you think about them as like decentralized groups where it's in the incentive of the corporation to pay out or it's in, in the incentive or simply the principle of the corporation to pay out equally, leaving aside if that's an efficient model or not, let's assume that, let's just assume that is a more efficient model. Then you know, how do we accomplish that? So that's kind of one thing that we're doing. Another thing, going to your point about currency. So... We mostly work with so-called fiat currency or national currency. 
But the issue with national currency is that there's a natural scarcity to it in that you only have as much as you have in like a certain area. And each person, because of that scarcity, each person is incredibly unreluctant to, get, to give it up. And on top of that, you know, they're usually negative interest rates or like positive interest rates. And so there's always this pressure to get more. And all those things create this like incredibly competitive environment. And so one way that has been pioneered to get around that are so-called LETS, L-E-T-S, where you basically create a community currency. And you say, it only really works in communities where like the, there's an actual community where people are like closely economically intertwined with each other. But something like, you know, if I, if you are like uh, selling, selling, sorry, selling apples, and I'm making smoothies, and there's a consumer out there, then then I would buy your apple, you know, make it into a smoothie, sell it to the consumer, and consumer then goes to buy your apple. And so now you have this like balanced flow where we all transacted with each other, we all got what we wanted, and we never had to put out any more or less money. And so you're basically like facilitating this flow of transactions inside this local community using this kind of, you know, this alternate system of money, of currency, that is like totally worthless outside of the system, but somehow creates these kind of like, uh, increase the money of velocity. So that's one other thing that we're looking at in terms of like creating new kinds of systems. And the last one is really around, you know, in a lot of places that we, we operate in, the, you know, we, we take things in, America, in the United States for granted, stuff like you know, obviously property laws, stuff like if you want to get like your claim settled, you go, there's like two or three courts you go to, go to state court, go to federal court, whatever. Um, arbitration. That's like your three options. If you try to go to court, you may like. There's. I just remember, you know. So I used to live in China. I'm a U.S. citizen. I just remember when I had to get my passport renewed, we would go to the, uh, the immigration office and they'd be like, "Why are you coming here? I don't. I don't know what to do with this." They'll send us to the police station. They're like, "Oh, you got to go to that police station over there." And so you're just getting shuttled around because this was a scenario that no one really knew what to deal with. You know, and I think like that kind of stuff, like clarity of how to deal with legal issues and enforcement. I think it's something we take for granted in, in Western countries. And so I don't know if that's creating a new system. It's almost just like providing the tools to help people build their own system. So, and that's a whole different subject about like common law, which is incredibly sophisticated, incredibly, you know, evolved at this point. And like how to, you know, how to, whereas in, in a lot of places, people try to apply civil law and they end up creating these like terrible incentive structures. But yeah, you know, those are, and I don't know if this will work or not. These are just kind of things we're trying out right now. And, Terms of building new systems and hopefully they create something new. Yeah, exciting. I mean, there's also a bridge in, in what I'm observing that, that you're actually trying these things out. I think you mentioned Nigeria and you mentioned Peru earlier. So in like uh, developing nations that really are kind of running on fundamentally similar systems, but then specifically very different systems in Western countries. Absolutely. Yeah. Different environments, different contexts. If it works here and it works there, then it should work everywhere, right? Right. Like, how do you see the phenomenon of like leapfrogging technology kind of be almost like a, yeah, like a stepping stone for projects like yours to take off? Because there's so many people that simply aren't even in um, all of the systems that we take for granted in the West. Yeah. So I think leapfrogging is, I mean, to me, that's more of like an implementation detail about like, like, I don't see that as being, I see that as being a symptom. You know, I don't see it as being a root. You know, it's like, if you want to create this, then of course you would like, if you're going to run like a, a, an application in 2018, of course you would use Node.js, you'd use like MariaDB or MySQL, you would use like React, you would use all these like super modern frameworks. No, I don't, does, does that mean you're leapfrogging? Like if you were, if you just started starting to be a full stack developer like this year, 
and does that mean you leapfrog all the other full stack developers? You know, that at some point it becomes kind of a meaningless kind of phrase. But I think the more interesting thing is that, you know, we're in this really interesting confluence where uh, you know, Bitcoin couldn't have existed before like 2009. It just it literally couldn't. Like network speeds weren't fast enough. And, well, you know, where this wasn't big enough and there wasn't enough impetus. You know, people weren't that pissed about banks yet. And, and then they were. And that's kind of, you know, what, and then now like, with mobile phones becoming more prevalent, with with telecommunications becoming more prevalent, I think those open up like a whole new set of opportunities. What I call those, like leapfrogging. I will say though that it it's nice to not have all this legacy infrastructure. It really allows you to like try new and exciting things in places where if you try to do it in the United States, then it's almost like the existing infrastructure would almost like undermine it. Yeah, uh, the place that we operate in, there's no alternative. So it's like okay, well, let's do it then. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, let me ask you kind of like um, one of my favorite questions in, in, in the, on the show, and it, it's, it's quite the, like the, a vast scope, so take it wherever you want it. I like asking people, like, what is your like, bigger picture vision for Earth? So the way I, I would phrase it is, imagine humanity had a shared vision for where we want to take this planet. What would be yours, kind of considering the time frame of 50, 100, 200 years? I have no idea. My frame? I mean, I guess if I was to... <laughs> so, so here's why I laugh at that because I feel like it's like getting all of mankind to agree on one thing. Are you kidding me? You know, like you really get like a room of people to agree on one thing. That itself would be like that itself would be a vision. I want to get all of mankind to agree on one thing. You know, like you go around saying, "Oh, pop cars are terrific." And you would still have like hundreds of people, like a good, I don't know, whatever percentage. I would just be like, no, that's pop cars are the devil. Uh, but I guess if they're kind of as a, I think as a prerequisite to getting people to agree on things and also something that I would just personally like to see if people are just nice to each other. <laughs> right. People stop trying to fuck each other over. But I don't know. I, I kind of doubt it's ever going to happen. Well, I, I think it's a very worthy vision to kind of uh, see humanity, you know, acting completely on a collaborative consciousness. So I, I love your answer, to be honest. Um, is there anything else you'd, you'd love to, to share with the listeners? Like anything, like anything you want to ask for or anything people can learn deeper about Quora? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, like you can check out Quora at Quora.network. You can reach out to me at maomao at Quora.network. That's M-A-O-M-A-O at Quora.network. I'm always happy to have these discussions with people. You have plugged into like, you know, what other people are doing because if we're going to talk about like collective consciousness, you know, ultimately this project is built on the work of like, decades and decades of other work and uh and there's there's always more that we haven't even thought about and and also it's much faster to just ask someone who is an expert there than to read it on our own so, so if you're interested please do reach out i'd love to chat it's amazing mama well, thank you for making the time i'm uh, absolutely honored to have you on the show thank you thank you julian this was a lot of fun i hope you too enjoyed this episode make sure to subscribe to the podcast on either itunes or spotify green planet blue planet podcast and join me and others in the conversation on Facebook, Green Planet, Blue Planet Podcast on Facebook. Wherever you are, have yourself a Saturday.